This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, we're here to continue. In fact, this is the final episode of our Evolution series, the Evolution of the NFL. Tonight, we're talking about how the game is played. Uh, we've talked about the rules. We've talked about the economics. We've talked about the league structure. This is how the game is played. Uh, it's certainly a topic that I think a lot of people have interest in. 
Uh, joining me today is Colt Scardina. How are you doing, Colt? I'm doing great, Ken. Thank you again for uh, having me back. It's sort of bittersweet. You know, it'll be nice to put a bow on this uh, evolution series that we're doing, but it'll be sad to see it go because I'm just having a blast talking to you about all this stuff. It, this is a lot of fun. These conversations are always fun, but that just means we have to come up with the next project. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to that one, too. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we perhaps the place to talk about you know, how the game is played is to talk about a little bit about the history of how the game has changed over the years. And um, the NFL has a long history. I'm not going to go back to the very, very beginning of it. I'm going to start in about 1950. I think people know that, that the, you know, the, the modern passing game and whatnot actually started before then. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Don Hudson, of course, was the, the NFL's first big receiver for the 30s Packers. Um, and, and the game, the, the passing game didn't really come back um, until the 1950s and kind of the same level until the post-war era. But in the 1950s, the, the, the game was characterized by a very high interception rate. And this is something that really shows up when you're looking at uh, normalized interceptions to era. And you've maybe heard me talk about Ed Reed and Marcus Peters, who were one and two at one point. Uh, Reed, I believe, is still number one in terms of interceptions relative to era per game play. <laughs> So uh, at over seven per 16 game played, it's really well ahead of the rest of the field. Um, and that's normalized to some recent years interceptions. And I don't, I, a friend of mine, uh, definitely a great follow on, on Twitter, Yoshi2052. Uh, you want to make sure you, you, you hit him up because he'll, he'll give you the most recent data, I'm sure, if you just ask him for it. But uh, uh, this is a uh, interesting uh you know, change we have today, interception rates now are, uh, they're just over 1%. I have to actually look to see what the league uh, interception rate was in a recent season. I'll do that while uh, while Colt makes his, his point. But uh, Colt, can you imagine uh, if Ed Reed was put in a, a, a league with a 7.4% interception rate? <laughs> I mean, what, what is the, um, what what is the counter to Ed Reed in the 1950s? Do you just never throw the ball? <laughs> past yeah, yeah, I mean five yards. That, that, that might be it. In uh, in his rookie season, Night Train Lane had 14 interceptions in 12 games. So oh, wow. you see, the league the league was still they were throwing the ball a fair amount. There were a, a, a good number of interceptions per game. Teams were not as conscious about not uh, about taking care of the football. Uh, they would use the the forward pass as a punt in some situations. So if it's third and long, you throw it deep and that's your punt. Mm. And, uh, you know, there were, there were teams willing to, you know, use that, but, uh, but the interception rate uh, at that point was, you know, over 7%. And today uh, I'm going to get it for you here because I really need to know this here in terms of passing interception percentage is 2.4% in the NFL today. So it's a third uh, of mm -hmm. what it was at, at that time. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think if you were if you're playing in the '50s, you're also thinking your your guys are going to get it back <laughs> uh, just yeah. as easily as you're giving it up. So uh, almost a ping pong effect to the game, you know. And like you said, like a long punt, um, it's you know effectively the same thing. So so why not take your why not take a gamble on third third and ten? You know. Yeah, it was a it was definitely a different time for football. They had some high flying passing attacks, so there were some guys putting up big passing numbers, but they were doing a lot of interceptions and passer ratings by today's standards were a lot lower uh, than they were. Johnny Unitas's career passer rating, I believe, was around seventy four. Oh, really? So it might have been seventy six, but but you know, it's it was it was very low by today's standards anyway. Yeah. 
And then I've always heard, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, correct me if this is uh, just sports journalists uh, playing uh, playing with narratives that are easy for uh, for for readers to stomach. But the uh, right before the merger, AFL is the high flying razzle dazzle league, and the NFL is the uh, three three yards in a cloud of dust and all defense. Is that is that accurate, or is that a little bit urban legendy? I think there there was more passing in the AFL. They had ten teams. Joe Namath was in that league. Um, they probably uh, put more of their money into signing mm-hmm. some some big quarterbacks. You had some other guys. John Hadel was a very effective quarterback with the Chargers, who was a, a you know passing quarterback. I try to think of some of the other great passing quarterbacks from the league. Uh, there were some teams who did it on the ground too. I'm thinking Jack Kemp was a quarterback for the bills when they were successful. And uh, I have to kind of work my way through this. Len Dawson be another guy who was an effective quarterback at that time with the chiefs. So. And if you're spending all your money, if you're the Jets and you're spending all your money on your quarterback, of course you want him to, to throw the ball rather than hand off. And then there's, <clears throat> Of course, less money to spend on defense. So, if the NFL has all the great defensive players and the AFL is sort of lacking in that area, it just makes sense. It just makes sense, um, you know, strategically to air it out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it, it certainly would have made sense in in that era. And we had some uh, uh, we had some extraordinary numbers in the '60s. And the in the NFL, of course, they had the era of Jim Brown. And the uh, nine rushing titles, uh, I think he led the, led the league in rushing his first nine years. And, uh, you know, he, Cleveland was one of the dominant teams. And, and Brown was certainly the most dominant player, probably still is the greatest player ever to ever to play football, other than, you know, maybe one of the contemporary quarterbacks like Brady. Um, but, uh, you know, he dominated the game certainly in a big way. The merger came in 1970. That changed a lot of things because it, it unified the draft in part. Uh Teams didn't have the same amount of money because revenue sharing had not been uh, adopted yet, and they didn't have free agency yet. But they had, you know, they had a, a common draft is a good place to start in terms of a, uh, having a game which is uh, more balanced among more teams. Right. Even it out not only between the leagues but uh, offensive, <clears throat> offensively and defensively. That just sort of makes sense to once you're starting to draft from the same pool of players and money is not, you can't lure, you know, Joe Willie to your league by giving him, what was it? $400,000 in a Cadillac or whatever the story is. Uh, (laughs) I don't know the exact story behind that. That's, that's an interesting one. I know, I know he shaved his mustache for $10,000 on, on, uh, for a for a commercial, hey, I'm that's one of the thing. That's my rate too. So if you want yeah. the mustache gone, ten grand. Yeah. <laughs> so he also wore pantyhose for something, and and it might have been only thirty grand at the time. But uh, but whatever the case, uh, that, that that might be below your rate. You have to adjust for inflation <laughs> for that. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, 1970s a big era of change for the NFL in terms of uh, how they moved around the goalposts. They changed the the passing game to make it easier to pass. The NFL has, you know, took very extreme changes, uh, made very extreme changes um, to adjust the game when they thought passing was really falling behind. And the Steelers had really dominated the the mid-70s game with a bump-and-run coverage of Mel Blunt, most famously, but lots of other cornerbacks in the league uh, were were getting away, you know, just chucking receivers all the way down the field. And uh, the NFL decided that wasn't good for the game. They wanted a more open passing game. They added a couple teams to the league that that you know thins out the competition a little bit right there to start with. But they also um, had a uh, you know the the five yard one one hit rule. So now it's illegal contact beyond five yards. 
pass interference, spot foul. I don't know if that was not a spot foul before. I think it was was a spot foul from earlier in the 70s at the very least. Yeah, this is some of the stuff that we touched on uh, last week, the the Mel mm-hmm. Blunt rule I remember you saying. Um, <laughs> one thing I did want to bring up, just uh, just a quick tangent. I, I was It kind of got stuck in my head that I, I said that um, – you know, in, in a way to balance the league uh, or balance the offensive and defensive, um, you know, misalignment that we have that it might be uh, smart to have to let uh, defensive players just kind of run up to a bunch formation and, and knock them, um, you know, the same way that we can do a mm-hmm. uh, they can do a pick route. And uh, that kind of bounced around in my head. And I just it, it came to the team to the realization that that was just uh, just dumb. And uh, it's, it's not that I'm anti, um, you know skewing the game offensively the league was smart to do it as you just alluded to with this the Steelers dominating with the run game and opening up the passing game it's just that some of the ways that they've um modified the game and this is something we'll get into at the end of the history part um really did uh in my opinion um not just skew it but just take it to a a level where it, it's just not even fair to the defensive players. Um, right. But again, we can, we can tackle that. Cause I know after the seventies, what it would be the um, sort of the bill Walsh eighties, the West coast offense really opening things up at that point. Yeah, I absolutely. In the eighties, you know, you, really the modern passing game with, with uh, players like Marino in 83 and, and uh, Montana, certainly in terms of what he brought to dominance with San Francisco, how he turned that franchise around, uh, were, were, you know, big events of that decade. Uh, in the 1990s, uh, the Cowboys and 49ers dominated. And again, a, a lot of passing. Uh, Cowboys did it with some defense, too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, had Deion Sanders and, and a, you know, a set of other good defensive players that they were able to put on the field. And uh, neither of those teams was bereft of defensive teams. But the only team that really was, well, there are only two that were really won a championship entirely on defense. That's the 2000 Ravens uh, who at year after the greatest show on turf debuted in, right. in St. Louis, you know, uh, came back and won it with big and strong. And, uh, you know, that's the way Phil, Phil Sims put it at the end of his Super Bowl wrap up was how, you know, the league's being, being uh, taken over again by the big and the strong. Yeah. I mean, you throw in Jamal Lewis, of course, and, and controlling the clock. And then I believe next, the next year was the uh, Tampa two, uh, championship two years right? later or two years later right yes, so it, but that's the other team <laughs> <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to step yeah. on uh, your line there but yeah it was um it, it was it looked like we had sort of um hit the precipice and we we're trending back down towards um towards defense because like you said the greatest show on turf and those um those early 80s uh Niners teams sort of felt like a bookend. Now I do remember, I sort of have a, a vague recollection of the mid nineties being a very linebacker and big running back heavy, sort of like a demolition derby mm-hmm. football. They, whatever that thing is they have on their necks, the linebackers, everybody. Oh, had yeah. One of there those. you go. Yeah. And they were just high propped up shoulder pads that Ray Lewis wore when he was younger. Exactly. Yeah. Now they're all wearing like the very, very thin ones so they can be as fast as possible in coverage. But uh, yeah, they looked almost like uh, transformers out there yeah. <laughs> just smashing yeah, into each good, other. That's a, that's a good way to put it. And, you know, the era since then, since really 01 and 03 to the present has really been dominated by the by the pocket quarterback. And we've had, uh, you know, Brady and Manning and Roethlisberger 
uh, in particular, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dominating then in terms of the Super Bowl wins. And, you know, I think when I look at the entire movement of professional football, they acted swiftly and I think decisively in the 70s to change the game. I think, you know, it created an extremely popular game. They never had any issues with popularity, frankly, uh, even after, you know, coming back from the strikes uh, in, in 82 and 87, the, the, the league never really had any issues. And, you know, baseball can't say the same thing and hockey can't say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, if you look at what other sports have done, baseball has had certain maxims that it hasn't changed yet. Okay. Since 1893 or 95, one of those two, I think 1893, um, they had the 60 foot six, six inch mound and they've never changed that. Uh, they've had 90 foot bases for all of that era. In fact, going for the, maybe, that probably goes back to 1876, but I'm not sure. Um, anyway, the, the, the certain things have stayed the same, but nonetheless, baseball, you know, came out of the first world war, uh, popular, but not nearly as popular as it could be. Then they had a huge gambling scandal. And even though there weren't a lot of other sports in the United States for it to compete with, people, you know, were having their gambling taken away and they're and they're having, you know, not knowing if their baseball is is uh, uh, legitimate or not. And and they wanted something new. And and Landis, first of all, kicked a bunch of guys out of the game. But second of all, uh, he really allowed and the owners allowed the home run to take over the game in the 20s. And, and uh, it grew with just a couple of teams trying to really do it at first and other other teams, you know, holding on saying, wait, wait, this isn't our way of doing it. And then, you know, before long, everything right. had to do it or they weren't any good. The floodgates were breached. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, so we talk about the live ball era and the dead ball era. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's like now where every single day we have a, a story about the baseball and whether it's juiced or not. I'm assuming they, a, um, ratcheted those those stitches a little bit tighter for uh the babe ruth and gary you know those guys but then also another it's another funny parallel is you hear all these things about now we're playing in uh in uh in matchbox stadiums you know all the stadiums yes. are tiny but uh, i believe ruth and gary were hitting on a it was 298 down the line to uh in the in old um, it, it was it was a ballpark that that favored the pitcher overall, but it was very short to right field, and they were both left-handed hitters, so they mm-hmm. both had you know good advantages in terms of that. So the Yankees knew how to build a ball club with a you know a, a left-handed friendly park. By the way, I really like that the Orioles have effectively done that now. They've got a very unfriendly park for right-handed hitters, and I, you know being friendly to left-handers. Uh, means you can build your, your you can build your team that way. You can build it around left-handed pitching. You can build it around left-handed hitting, certainly, and and yeah. that gives you a host of advantages. And I and I heard somebody make that point earlier because they went they were going through uh, all of Elias's recent draft picks, and and a lot of them are either switch hitters or lefty power hitters, or you know even lefty mm-hmm. contact hitters that can you know, pull it down the line. Um, I, I'm on the other side of the. I, I wasn't a fan of the the wall move for other reasons i'm glad it I'm, i like what it's doing competitively but man when it uh gets under aaron judge's skin that much it just really really brightens my day it's it's great to yes. see i know you yankee <laughs> throw a ten- temper tantrum it's yes. like you're a grown man you're almost seven feet tall and you're having a hissy fit this is amazing <laughs> yeah this is a this is a positive thing and and you know frankly it's very difficult. I, I've always said this, and while I've, I love Camden Yards, Memorial Stadium was more friendly, even though it was uniform in terms of dimensions, to the Orioles building a, a, a winning franchise. And the reason was that uh, pitching friendly ballparks will allow you to co- keep your total innings pitch, total batters faced numbers down over the course of a season, 
and also allows your pitchers to not be you know, worried about throwing their hardest fastballs all the time. Palmer, for example, a pitcher who paced himself extraordinarily well throughout mm-hmm. his career in terms of being able to still have something left he could reach back for late in a, in a ball game. And that was a function of just not having to throw as many good fastballs in a game in, in that ballpark, which was a, a, a nice little feature of, uh, of his career and something that really helped the Orioles over the years. And I'm surprised uh, more teams currently don't view it the same way yeah. because if there is one uh, scarce resource in Major League Baseball, it's pitchers that can go deep into games, save your mm-hmm. bullpen, get guys out a third time through the lineup, a fourth time through the lineup. And there was um, uh, Comerica Park in Detroit. Was They built it to be huge, and now every year they bring it in a little bit. Um, so they, they took the bullpen from the uh, right-hand uh, uh, uh right hand foul ground. foul ground thank you very much mm-hmm. and put it in left field and then brought the um fence in in, in front of that and then i believe uh petco field as well in san diego just as they're just getting a uh, a, a competent team they're just getting a contender for the first time mm-hmm. since 1998 and they are sort of jeopardizing their pitching in in hopes to i don't know juice up hitting a little bit i it just it for me it doesn't i mean hitting's gonna happen either way big ballpark you're still going to get the gaps you're still going to get the ball over the outfielder's mm-hmm. head but i mean to to do that to your pitchers on a daily basis to to make them like you said uh have to throw their hardest every time and and you know eat up their innings eat up their pitching uh, eat up their pitches for for you know less effective outcomes it's just it makes no sense to me yeah i i i've never liked it and and uh boston was able with basically unlimited resources to play in that strategy but most of the successful franchises yankee stadium and particularly before the move uh an enormous pitchers park uh if you look at at the dodgers a, a big pitchers mm-hmm. park in la so it, it, a lot of the teams you know that that have been successful for for a long time have it, have done it with good pitchers park certainly the orioles fit in that group uh, with their big run and having the best record in the sixties and two games behind the reds in the seventies for the best record in the major leagues. So, uh, that was, uh, a great run. Uh, I, I did want to talk about the fact that, um, you know, baseball has been through actually many evolutions mm-hmm. of the balance between hitting and pitching. And every time there, there, there's a general rule that pitching catches up to hitting, sorry, pitching. Yes. Pitching catches up to hitting over time. And so in they, they let the game go crazy kind of offensively, a bunch of smaller ballparks brought in. Obviously, the, the rest of the league adapted to the slugging nature. And in 1930, it kind of hit its, hit its uh, zenith when the National League as a whole hit 303. Oh, wow. The Philadelphia Phillies hit 315 as a team, uh, but they had a 671 team ERA and finished in last place. There you go. So, so that would do it. <laughs> and and uh, all sorts of records were set in 1930. And they finally started to change the game, but still the, the, the lively ball era lasted until the end of the 40s. And then they, then it was about a 25 or, or 28 year period of, of moving towards pitching dominance, um, culminating in the 1968 season, which is the, is the all time best for pitching. Uh, Bob Gibson had a 112 ERA and 13 mm-hmm. shutouts. And uh, uh, you know, the, the what else do I know about that season that I could I can easily sum up? Yastrzemski led the American League at hitting with 301, and he had to rally to get to that point, or the the American League might have not had a 300 hitter. Now, um, that itself no is tells you everything yeah. you need to know. Yeah, yeah. And I think the A's led the league in hitting as a team at 240. 
<laughs> so the yeah, uh, 2019 Orioles. <laughs> yeah, they hadn't they hadn't figured out the shift yet in that in that period either. Thank goodness for the hitters at that point. And, and you know we had the steroid era, and we had you know more juice ball suppositions. We had smaller ballparks, as you mentioned. So it grew to a bigger home run era. And now baseball's become this three outcome sport that that is no fun to watch at all. It's I'm, it's my biggest regret. I mean, again, baseball, I mentioned this in a, a previous episode, baseball is my, my favorite sport, you know, and I, and I just can't bring myself to watch non Orioles professional baseball mm-hmm. because of, because of how it's played. It just, it just makes no sense from a, um, from a league perspective to continue to put this product out in this exact form and expect the national public to change their mind on what they're seeing right. like, like they're we're gonna all wake up one day and say oh you know what i love to watch 12 walks and you know 15 pitch at bats that the, the game that takes five hours and the ball that's never hit onto the grass or onto the dirt it's it's just uh mind-numbing with the, what they've done and it's and what i think is the, one of the biggest crimes is that they just completely discounted the fact that defense can be exciting, right? So they, mm-hmm. they, they're they all in for homers are exciting. We're going to draw people in. It's going to be through homers. But the baseball is a game of like small strategy. You know, each pitch, you know, you're moving a little bit. You're, um, you, you know, you're picking a guy off, but you're not really picking him off. What you're doing is you're sending a signal to the catcher that you want a new, you, you know, you, you want a new sign. And there's all these little um, matchup games that uh, it's great to watch for, for baseball. If they would just lean into that. And what they really need to lean into is the fact that if you put uh, athletes on the field, rather than just guys that like the Adam Duns of the world, that all they can do is swing for the right. fences. If you put athletes on the field, Mike Trout, Cedric Mullins, and you just watch them fly around. I mean, even uh, tonight, uh, we're recording this on June. By the way, don't, don't tell me what happened in the Orioles games because I don't know yet. Okay, I won't tell you the ending. But uh, mm-hmm. in the, the very early innings, uh, Hayes and Mullins both threw, threw out runners trying to advance. And you don't get that with, with you know these lumbering sluggers that can't move around in the outfield and they don't have an arm because they have one of five tools you know right. look for these five, go back to looking for five tool players put them on the field you'll have a more exciting product and make the um make the uh, uh, strike zone bigger so they're actually taking the bat off their shoulder i i actually like the idea of building teams to ballparks and I, I, because there's only a limited number of five tool athletes i don't I, I it's not fair to ask everybody to look for them not in my opinion anyway but what i'd like to do is each team to have competing philosophies about how to win at baseball and like in the 1970s, we had the Kansas City Royals who were trying to win with speed and and playing on turf. And even though I didn't like the Orioles going there because they weren't any good at it, um, it was something that that I thought was good for baseball to have that as a competing philosophy. And, the, you know, if if Baltimore says it's pitching defense and three run homers, well, we dare you to come in here with your bunch of 300 hitters and trying to win in Memorial Stadium. Yeah, because that, that's that's not the right strategy for that ballpark, <laughs> not the right strategy for that ballpark yeah. or against that team. And I would say that that's that's how I want to see every sport, you know, basketball, mm-hmm. football, hockey. I, I want to see these competing philosophies i want to see these teams made up of different um you know different stylistic uh, uh, uh game like you know the the way that they play also the type of players that they promote to the to the bigs and just yeah uh the orioles right now 
They are hitting a ton of home runs. It's great to watch. But what, something else they're also doing that I'm I'm loving is they're stress testing every defense by trying to stretch, um, trying to get as many bases as they can every time they're every time the ball is put in play. You know they're trying to go first to third. They're trying to go second mm-hmm. home. Uh, Rutschman. Oh, and I see. I won't. Uh, <laughs> I won't That's spoil anything uh, more yeah. than I already have. But. Um, People are, you know, taking the extra base. And if they're out, they're out. We're not going to compete this year. That's fine. It's just a data point that you have in the future. Hey, if the if a guy has a, a average arm in right field, then this player can get the first to third on, on, on you know, in this situation, 93% of the time, you know. Every time that they're doing that, every time that they're trying to do something a little bit mm-hmm. different or a little bit against the grain of what the rest of the league is doing, it's it's uh, promoting better uh, a, a better product for the future uh, when they actually are competitive yeah I, I mean i like that I, I in fact i really like what tampa bay did to compete with the shifts and doing all the analytics they did to to be a well-run franchise i i think that's good for the game i don't i don't think it was bad at all a lot of people don't like the shift uh, for me that's the hitter's problem you, mm-hmm. you got to figure that out i mean look there's nine players that umpire's card doesn't even have positions on it other than the dh Right. Because, uh, you know, you know he, he's not responsible for keeping track of when your second baseman moves over to play right on the right field line, if that's where you want him. Uh, you know, it's it just it, <laughs> it, it drives me it's crazy like, when people say that they should outlaw the shift, yeah. because like you said, these are professional athletes. If there's nobody on the left side of the field, hit the ball to the left side of the field. Yeah, there you go. You'll bat or a bump. thousand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that. Uh, Chris Davis, not to throw dirt on, I, I loved Chris Davis. I always appreciate what he did in the in the, at his at his peak. But the thing that got me the the madness wasn't that he you know his skills deteriorated, people's skills deteriorated. It's that he never tried to do something different, right? He always tried to hit the ball right into the shift. Chris, you were a good enough athlete to hit the ball the other way, to bunt, to get on on a. a I mean, he could have batted right-handed. You know, he. I think he was, he was uh, talented enough to do that. But yeah, when people said that they should outlaw the shift, um, I, I they and then they they'll go another. Uh, they they'll go uh, a little, one step further and say that somebody you know. The, they're going to draw like X's on the field and these and you, the second baseman has to stand by this X and the, and the shortstop has to stand on this X. One of the best things I think that they've done recently is they started going, taking the shift a, a step further and having four outfielders and three infielders. Yes. And uh, I love it. You know, they, uh, mm-hmm. uh, was it, somebody one of the espn people were was complaining about it oh you know anthony rizzo hit the ball it should have been a double but he hit it right at the right at the outfielder it's like i i you know anthony rizzo stand-up double isn't exciting the fact that they that they put in a strategy and the strategy worked that's the mm-hmm. only reason you and i are talking about this at bet <laughs> if it, yeah, it's without true. yeah without without this uh, strategic advantage that was placed uh that was what was implemented that's just another stand-up double loss to the loss to the the years, you know, loss to the wind. But because they're trying these new things and because they're doing um, innovative things, we're actually talking about it and we're getting excited about the different possibilities in baseball. Yeah, I I, I agree, and that's uh, you know it's something. Uh, there was a little bit of that played even when I was growing up in the 1970s. Jim Rice, uh, mm-hmm. one team used four outfielders against him. Uh, and, and I forget whether it worked or not, but it doesn't matter. They, they tried it, right. <laughs> but, but uh, it's actually coming into fairly 
unusual but more frequent use this year. Adley Rutschman in his second game, they they were playing four outfielders against him. Oh, really? I didn't. I uh, yeah, didn't see that. you catch that. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's uh, funny. so that was actually pretty cool. Um, second second game. Might have been his second series. I think it was his second game. I honestly think it was his second game. So anyway, the uh, uh, some some cool things certainly have happened over the years with regard to that. Um, let's let's talk about other sports for just a second here. Mm-hmm. The the NBA obviously they've had two absolutely ginormous rule changes that I'm aware of over time, and and you know there have been other things about about when foul shots are taken or not, or what's a bonus and this and that, and three to make two and that kind of stuff. I'm not really talking about that because those changes are, are a reflection in a way of, of uh, free throw shooting percentage, but the three point shot, very fundamental change to the game in terms of, of how the game is played. You don't want to take a long two anymore. You take threes in college. Whoa. Does a three point shot dominate obviously, but the other one is a 24 second clock. Uh, and, and, and with it, the requirement to play uh, man defenses instead of zone. So, you know, you have the opportunity for uh, virtuoso um, on virtuoso offense defense matchups uh, that you can isolate uh, to. So, so that I think the NBA has tried to do some good things. The NBA is still popular. I, I don't personally like the NBA. It's my least favorite of the four major sports. But uh, but it's at least they've adapted in terms of rules. Yeah, I would say hockey is probably the, the best at implementing new rules um Mm -hmm. even on the fly sometimes i I know that they one season it was like in the playoffs and they're like all right here's a new rule so it's great to see when leagues are proactive about that that i would say the nba is second um you know they get they get um new players in all the time and uh the the style of the, the game changes pretty much overnight i mean if you look at the game pre-steph curry and post-steph curry mm-hmm. uh it's a completely different looking game um so they're they're aware of it they're putting in i one of the things that they put in that i really do like is the um uh, offensive rebounds it doesn't go back to 24 seconds on the shot clock i believe it's 14 seconds huh, so okay. you can't it's not resetting inside you're still within the the action of that missed shot and it's you know it's it's more incumbent on you to try to score rather than put the ball out to the top of the key and and reset um so that i really like and i, I like that they're trying to do different things um i would like to see them maybe shrink the key again because i think as we're going now we're getting five uh, smaller players. I think they call it small ball, right? So it's it's five shooters, five wings, and we're really losing that inside game where I, I like the balance between the two. I like when you have a post player. I like when you have wings that cut. I like a, a, a one and a two guard that can both handle the ball and shoot it. So if they were to – I think if they were to shrink the um, the key, they could, um, it, you know, get some some – big, big men back to what they used to be. Okay. I mean, it's honestly, when I hear you say that kind of sounds like that's the way you grew up with basketball and you were, you're comfortable with it being that way rather than having five shooting guards out there, but this is competing philosophies in play. If, if you can put five shooting guards on the field and, and, and on the court and make that work. Fantastic. If you can win with big men, fantastic. If the smalls have too much of an advantage over the bigs, because it's too easy to shoot from three point range, that's another matter. That's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe then we need another six inches of three point range. Like, yeah. I would say that or put in a four, you know, four point shot. Uh, <laughs> I think Trey, Trey young and uh, Luca could probably, and uh, Dame Lillard could probably nail that on a, uh, and Steph could, could hit that. Um, 
Yeah, my my problem is not that it, it you know if it was half the league was f- uh, small ball and then half the league was inside out or even you know twenty percent, twenty percent, twenty percent. It seems like it's just all threes now that's that was my thought process for shrinking the key like let's let's um because because you know like you said there's no point to take a long two unless Mm -hmm. you can dunk there's no reason to go into the key so it's it's either shoot a three or you know go back on defense to to shrink the key you're gonna also shorten the foul line I wouldn't nece- I wouldn't necessarily shorten the foul line, but just okay. like like it used to look kind of uh thinner key. Yeah, thinner key. That's that's okay. that's a better okay. way to put it. All right, I buy that. All right, that's an interesting uh, interesting idea. Well, let's get back to football here because that's what people th- thought they were <laughs> <laughs> tuning into when they when they turned to our rule show. But our bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> football has had a, a number of changes over the years for player safety that I would I would put most of those in the minor category with regard to game outcome not not with regard to you know keeping your favorite players around that's that's important and i'm not i'm not not don't want to discount that in any way but in terms of game outcome they've actually been pretty small other things in terms of game outcome also pretty small but fans view them as important like uh the effect of replay well replay is a zero-sum game you know there's there's just one winner and one loser every game and replay will change some of those from one column to the other and and sometimes it'll go the other way and and your net should be zero uh and it, total games one is going to be is going to be the same um in the end but it, it's uh you know i i think they've, they've had a number of small changes the num i'm trying to think of what was the last change since 78 when they made you know the enormous changes to the passing game that was really significant and game altering uh, from a fundamental standpoint. Yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, earlier about the, the Brady and uh, Manning years when it kind of, it was mm-hmm. like greatest show on turf. Then it looked like we were going back to defensive dominance. And then it was when those two came in the league with, uh, and then I would throw Rogers and breeze in there, Roethlisberger um, where we're, offensive has been ascendant and i don't think it, there's been some outlier years like the 2017 jags with a really great defense but most most of the years most of the weeks we're talking about great offense high prolific passing attacks and um mm-hmm. and really defense is a as a secondary thought um i would running think, also as a secondary thought. running as a secondary thought so it's not it's not only that it's skewed one way it's skewed one way and then again uh, towards just one aspect of, of offense. One of the interesting things that's coming into the game analytically is looking at um, expected points and EPA expected uh, um, uh, points added uh, for, for plays that are passing plays is much higher than for running plays. In fact, running plays are usually negative. Now there are some across the league, they'd be negative, but uh, there are some reasons why that would be true. The first is that you run to close out a game when you're you're not really playing for points, you're playing for time. You're playing to to reduce the clock. So you actually will are perfectly happy to say, "Hey, I will give you expected points right. in exchange for taking time off the clock." Specifically, you make that trade, and just the same way, the trailing term team is willing to give up turnovers in exchange for the opportunity to catch up. So they'll they'll give up perhaps uh, you know expected turnovers, whether it's expected points or not. Uh, you, you know, in the in the uh, in the uh, pursuit of catching up uh, t- to me, uh, it, they ought to analyze that and try and take out. Plays run plays that, that were, were not 
uh, done specifically to run out the clock and then see how much difference there is. If that difference has gotten too great and I can't define that for them, mm-hmm. I, I would if they paid me to, but but it's it's uh, it's not my job. It's their job to really look at it and say, hey, do we have a game that favors running over, pa- sorry, passing over running too much? And it, 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 you know, it took one of the most extreme teams of all time to even convince the league that it could be done again with the 2019 Ravens in terms of, of having the greatest run team ever with the, you know, one of the most dangerous players ever in terms of Lamar Jackson to, to, uh, to be there to, to fuel it effectively. I, I don't really believe anybody's proved it's replicatable again. Maybe somebody like Malik Willis will, but um, it's not obvious to me that the that, that, that run game isn't, I don't think it's likely coming back on its own. I think I think that it's the players that they bring into the league are not going to do it without some help from changes in the rules to make running easier. Yeah, so I um, I would one hundred percent agree that um, it has it has skewed to the the point where passing is just it, it, it's it's head and shoulders above what anybody mm-hmm. what anybody would ever consider. Um, you know, uh, like you said about the expected points per average. I don't. I, I mean, I didn't even know that stat, but I could have told you if you if you had asked sure. me. Like without it, without knowing any stats, do you think that it's that it's um, skewed too much uh, a passing? Uh, I would have said, of course it is. Just by just by uh, my own eyes, uh, it is. It is as you and I have talked before. It's great to, uh, to have different styles. It's, it's great to zig when other people zag and to be a Ravens fan during this, during that 2019 time period, it was, uh, it, it was something else because just when you, you got used to, okay, the only way that you can compete is to have one of these pocket quarterbacks to have a average or above average to great, um, wide receiver and to have a uh, a line that can provide enough time to throw the ball downfield. And then here we come with this, uh, this great 300 monster, this death by a thousand cuts, uh, you know, um, it's almost oxymoronic, but it was a high flying running attack. Yes. You know, it was, I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It was just six yards, eight yards, eight yards, six yards, 12 yards, eight yards. Every time the defense looked clueless, um, you know, about, you know, we went 14 and two, uh, only the, only the uh, 49ers, I think made a game of it. Uh, everybody else was just uh, completely outside of the two losses, completely floored right. by what we were doing. Yeah, I, I, the way I would term that offense is they really inflicted progressive despair on opposing defenses with <laughs> what like they this. did. And, I, you know, it was it was bad enough that in three downs of running the ball or, you know, one one pass and, and two runs that they were getting first down 80 percent of the time. Um, they were doing it that way, whether they were running or passing on first down, which is very different. The rest of the league is is way lower when running the ball on first down, which was telling you that that. Uh, uh, you know, you, you you really ought to be passing more. But once they didn't do it in three downs, it's fourth and two. They're still out there still go for <laughs> and, they're, and they're running another play. And, and you know, they might even run quarterback power on that play if you're Seattle and, and you're, you remember that right. game. So uh, they, they I, I lo- first first of all, I love to see the return of running the football. And I love the pass just as much as a lot of other people do. But um, I really love the way the Ravens took the league by storm and, 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 you know, had a revolution that year. It was a, it was a mighty fun thing to watch. It sure was. And yeah, it's not, 
if if Lamar comes back this year and he's just throwing darts all over the field and they are and we are the uh, greatest show on turf part two, I'm not going to be mad at that. It was just it was like you said, it was the, we, something we thought was gone forever. This dormant running power run game. Uh, and I don't mean power like uh, running power plays. I mean, just like not uh, uh, a running attack, an unstoppable running attack that nobody really knows uh, what the hell to do with. And just to be, you know, to have to have our team do that and to be able to watch that 16 weeks in a row. Well, I mean, it was just um really an incredible ride and you you could kind of feel it in this in the city as much as great teams as we've had like i mean it was it was a different kind of energy behind that 2019 team it was just so cool you know it's this is a defensive city we we thought we were always going to have these um as much as i love flacco kind of these uh girl next door you know uh, playing jane quarterbacks (laughs) statues uh you know his 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 uh Outside of the Mile High Miracle, uh, his sort of uh, go-to play was a pass interference draw to <laughs> Tory Smith. You know that was probably his, um, Ooh, yep. yeah, his his greatest sort of uh, thing he had a trick he had in his bag. And then it's Lamar. He's like the, the greatest magician of all time. He's any trick that you could think of. And then that's and that's not even counting you know how great Ingram was or you know that was uh, when when Andrews started to really come into his own. I mean it was it was really just the culmination of all of these uh, you know or the the, the um, combination of all of these things it was like greater than the sum of its parts and just really hard to to put into words what it was it's it's the, the uh, you know the greater than the sum of its parts thing i'll just i'll just add this to this it's the fact that they can't determine what the value of the single most important part is is why the sum of its parts are greater and that's why pff never really understood never really got it right in terms of grading um, Lamar in terms of what his impact on the rest of the team was, but he loosened up defenses like nobody ever has. And uh, that was a very, very special offense to work. They did it with uh, the low, you know, one of the lowest, it might've been the lowest uh, cap expenditures in that season on offense. And it's by far in the history of football, the best offense per relative dollar of cap. Oh, you know, the cap so. has changed over time. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, just absurd, uh, absurdly efficient offense. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope we, we can see something approaching that again, because the Ravens certainly are not built wide receiver, um, uh, but for, from the wide receiver position, they, they, they're built more to be a three tight end offense. And we'll see, you know, when they get 13 on the field, if that's going to be as special, it was, it was, uh, in 2019. Yeah, we can hope, um, to just sort of pivot away from the Ravens, we've been kind of uh, dancing around this this uh, issue with the with the running game and it being, mm-hmm. you know, sort of uh, an afterthought. Uh, I I hate to to say I hate to add fuel to the fire about the the running backs don't matter uh, debate, but it just it just really does seem that if you're not one of the offense or defensive players that affect the passing game in a in a major way, that sure. you're replaceable and almost that that you. I mean, why even pay pay these guys a second contract? Yeah, it, it's a, that's a great point. And we have a problem with our game. We have a problem with not having the proper set of competing philosophies. When analysts are on and are basically shaking their head at any pick that is not a pass rusher, quarterback, tackle, or a wide receiver. Right. And they're saying, you, these guys just don't understand the draft. They keep taking people who don't affect the passing game. They keep shaking their head and, you know, doing this. And if you watch some shows that will remain nameless, 
uh, they, uh, they, they're, they're out there. They're literally talking about that play after play after play, but that's a problem with the game. If, if the, if, you know, run blocking and pass blocking, if the run game specifically in the passing game aren't on some sort of reasonably equivalent footing, then that's a reason why we should, we probably shouldn't be happy. I, I, I don't know about you. I, I don't want the game dominated by pocket quarterbacks throwing to a select set of receivers. I guess the, the largest possible imbalancing factor you can have in the NFL. We need competing philosophies um, and, and we need running and passing to, to both be elements that can, that can contribute to winning. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's my, uh, my complete competing philosophies. That's my philosophy for all sports. I want to see different things. I want to see um, the reds bring a different philosophy to the game than the blue Jays are going to bring. Right. I want to mm-hmm. see the, the, and that's, part of the reason again why we would be fans regardless if they were doing it differently but the part of the reason that it was so great to see the ravens do this is this is our team and they're doing something that no other team is even attempting or would even consider attempting in in this decade and they're not even they're not only pulling it off they're doing it with you know a flourish at at the end and then you know a number one seed and all that um i i think that the NFL, when we've talked and we've, you know, we've heaped praise on the NFL for for the ways that they grow and the way that they manage their league. But this is one of the ways that I think that they could shoot themselves in the foot if they right. just become so one dimensional. And this is again, this is tanking for quarterbacks. You know, mm-hmm. it's if, if you don't have a pocket passer and you don't have a number one receiver, you just can't compete in this league. You're, you, I mean, there's really going to be five or six teams that can compete every year and be it's horrible for the game horrible for the game so yeah. i mean whether it's a whether it's a rule um uh, you know a new set of rules that they put in whether it's just uh incentivizing teams to think about this stuff differently whether it's i don't know pay caps on <laughs> quarterbacks and edge players and, and receivers mm-hmm. so that they spread some of that money around um like i i, I was i was uh, making a joke earlier about not giving these guys second contracts I, that's a joke i want these guys to get second contracts you know as much as, as somebody works to get to the league and then they give their body over and then they say well we can replace you with a uh, undrafted free agent so uh uh you know hit the, hit the hit the road here um i just don't think that it's good in any sense of the word just in any any sense for the league to have it all based on the passing game to this extent you know i'm fine to have passing a a passing team or two you know like the greatest show on turf but everything else should be more balanced or you know or have some run teams that's right right. but one of the one of the things that it encourages if your running backs aren't going to get paid uh your star athletes are going to gravitate to other positions and caleb orton was on this show talking about the wide receiver devaluation one of his point was that that you know guys get positional coaching younger and they can they have an opportunity to select their position earlier demand it in college you know, basically say, look, I'll come here and play wide receiver, but I'm not coming here to play running back kind of thing. Um, and, and, you know, running backs, they move to corner, they move to wide receiver, but they move to, to positions that affect the passing game because that's the way the NFL is played. And if you're going to encourage that league, then it will have a self-fulfilling component to it uh, when you, when you uh, uh, you know, basically pay only the athletes that are, that are affecting the passing game. So the NFL probably will have to do, do something about it at some point. Um, I, I, I also, I, I really dislike the way that the 
running game is ignored. The running game is much more complex, by the way, um, th- than the passing games in some re- in some respects. Uh, you know, it involves a lot of very specific blocking things where where pass blocking is more general in nature uh, in terms of, of what your keys are, what you need to do on every play. Run, run blocking has more complexity to it in terms of, of, of what an offensive lineman, for example, has to do. But what all 11 need to do on the field in terms of in terms of their role. And I, I would like to see, um, you know, broader, I guess, interest in that, I would say, but everybody wants to talk about wide receivers. Everybody right. wants to, to get the flashy players. And, um, you know, Twitter is a, is a, 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 a real problem with that. I, I, uh, I, I would love the discussion to be different from we've got to do something, or you've got to get this ancient wide receiver fossil anytime he hits the, <laughs> he hits the market, because that's what, that's what I hear every time. And it's just, I, I, I get depressed by it, frankly, when I, when I consistently see it. Yeah. It's, you know, the Ravens would be, uh, would have, um, 10 Super Bowls if we just brought in who Allen Robinson and, <laughs> and uh, AJ Green. It was all these the quick fixes that we needed for uh, for our yeah. offense. Um, now, I think we're in lockstep there as far as like, yeah, I want it to be more balanced and, and have, uh, you know, even some some run heavy teams. But I don't know. Uh, this whole evolution, we were, we've been giving suggestions about what they could do. I don't know how to do that. How, how they get it. Yeah. If, 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 if you can get eight yards on an, on an out and it's, it's as low risk, it's probably lower risk than trying to get eight yards on two consecutive run plays. Um, you know, it's it, at this point, it's basically the quarterback handing the ball to the receiver, you know, six to six to eight mm-hmm. yards up the field. I just don't know how you incentivize teams to say, well, Hey, like, have you thought of it? it? Maybe it's, it's doing something against tanking so that teams that don't have a quarterback aren't tanking for a quarterback. And now like, Hey, well, we, we can't get a quarterback through the draft. So let's at least try to diversify our team our, another way. Yeah. yeah. Try to, to build a run first team. And, and, you know, we, we can get a great running back in the second or third round. We don't even have to tank for it. You know, mm-hmm. um, Maybe that's a that's a suggestion, but really, I'm I'm sort of tapped when it comes to that. As much as I'd like to see it, I, I don't know what they can do. Yeah, I think it it has to come from both directions. They have to make it easier to run somehow. And one rule they had that they they I believe they've taken out now is consecutive linemen allowed to go high and low on a individual block. Defensive players hated it. It's actually very risky in terms of, of, of how the block is doing. It's a chop block if you go high and low uh, otherwise or on a pass play. But on a running play, consecutive linemen are allowed to go high and low on, or were allowed, sorry, to go high and low on the on the uh, same defensive lineman. Uh, I, I, I don't want to bring that back, but I do want to make it somehow easier technically for the linemen to the offense to get an advantage on a run play uh, out of the blocking scheme. And, and I, I don't know exactly what that is. I also kind of want to make it harder for the um, uh, the receivers maybe to get a clean release off the line of scrimmage. So the timing is, is messed up on plays and it makes it easier to, to shut down a passing attack. But then there needs to be something which basically makes it harder to complete a pass on third and four for a first down. Conversion rates are too high and, and that needs to come down. And it's largely a function of just um, passing uh, completion percentages have risen over time. We would normally expect that. It's been the history of the entire NFL that they've gone from you know under fifty percent to to what are they are now probably right around sixty five percent. 
um, it's it's uh, you know you would expect that problem to come up, and yet the NFL really has not answered it yet, except with making the the passing game easier. Yeah, and and that's I don't know if they are thumbing their you know thumbing the scale to make it easier for the offense. That's what it seems to me. Um, I know also know that the with the uh, 2010 concussion lawsuit coming out, they did things like they really cracked down on head hunting, which is again good. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to, you know. Um, you look back at some of the things that we celebrated in like the late 90s and early mm-hmm. 2000s. You look at it now, and it's like kind of kind of makes you wince that uh you know now that you know what happens to these guys uh, after their career so i think it's good that they did that but then of course anytime there's a vacuum somebody's going to fill it so okay well if i can't if they're not going to really lay into me over the middle now the the middle passing game has really opened up and um guys are less afraid to go over there even smaller guys can really make their um make their living over the middle so you know if if quarterbacks used to have just outside of the hashes to throw to now they have the whole field to throw to um with less risk to the receivers and if um even if they throw an incomplete and somebody touches them on the head or, you know, touches them on the ankle and they can get a 15 yard flag. And now they're, you know, there's, there's just, everything is geared towards the, um, the offense benefiting the offense in in some way, shape or form. Even I'm, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it was intentional. I think a lot of this, especially like protecting the quarterbacks, you know, they don't, you know, they don't want, guys blowing out their knees like uh, Joe Burrow and you lose mm-hmm. young stars. Uh, that's it. So it's, it's, there's a lot of good that came with it, but just if they could dial some of that back, like we talked about replays on pass interference or um, quarterback hits just so that we're not, they're already, they already have all these advantages that we talked about with, um, you know, with the, with it being skewed to the passing game, let's not give them, you know, let's not let, Aaron Rodgers flop his way to 15 yards and a new set of downs. Right. I, I mean, I, I, I think there's, there's ideas out there which can restrict the passing game uh, in ways you could, you could, you could allow certain types of contact in the defensive backfield under certain circumstances. Like if the ball's in the air for two seconds or something, I don't know what, what, what is the reasonable amount of time, but if the ball's in the air for a certain amount of time, uh, then you're allowed to, it, initiate some sort of contact as a defender again would be one way. If you wanted to restrict jump balls, if you want to make contested catches more difficult, you've got ways to, to that you could uh, do that. Like you're allowed to arrive uh, one tenth of a second before the ball does. Mm-hmm. If you just, if you just said that and it was reviewable, even, I mean, that would be right. fine too. Uh, you know, then, then that would be an interesting change that I think could, uh, uh, could do it. But it, it's, you know, all these things are difficult to, um, put yeah. in the game. I think they're, they're, they're hesitant to make changes that would restrict passing, but at some point it's just going to become ridiculous in terms of, of the game being too centered around, um, you know, smaller players uh, around, you know, all the athletes being at the uh, few positions that affect the passing game and basically teams saying, okay, look, I've got to save money somewhere else. I'm never signing a second linebacker, never signing mm-hmm. a second uh, running back tight end contracts for other than the pass catching ones are going to go to nothing. Offensive line is less valuable, frankly, because I can pass block easier than I can run block. Uh, there's probably other positions on defensive line. The interior defensive line positions probably go down in value as well. So um, it's just, I, I, it's going to create a have and have nots. And if, if you're a, Inside linebacker, if you're a defensive lineman, if you're a running back right now in the National Football League, 
talk to your uh, representation <laughs> about changing the game in your favor a little bit because it's getting out of hand folks yeah it's your union too don't let uh <laughs> don't let the quarterbacks uh monopolize the conversation there all right well great talking to you again about this cult this has been a lot of fun is there anything else you want to say i mean just where do we go from here is there any other point i mean it seems like that's what we've been talking about the last 10 minutes but yeah where do we go from here i mean uh you and i both love football sounds like we both love every every sport that they'll throw in front of us um i i want leagues i want teams to be open to experimenting right i don't Mm -hmm. it's not that i want to see uh crazy new rules i mean some of the stuff with baseball with like a runner on second base and the extra Mm -hmm. innings i'm not doing anything for me does i'm not a fan like don't do the gimmicky stuff they had to do it for covid but whatever now that we're i think it's out in the next uh next season so thank goodness for that um but but short of anything gimmicky be willing to experiment um if you're not growing, you're dying. I mean, these, um, like we said, if you, if you get so shoehorn, if you get so, uh, blind, blinded into, okay, they love passing, they love home runs. They love three pointers that you can't see that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, it's going to be an unwatchable experience kind of like mm-hmm. baseball is with the three true outcomes. I mean, uh, football, football might be approaching three true outcomes, you know, incomplete <laughs> catch or touchdown passing. <laughs> there you go. So, um, you know, just because you got a good thing, uh, don't don't think it's always going to be a good thing. Teams should be a, teams should be willing to experiment. Um, Brandon Hyde, if you're listening, five infielders, two outfielders. I've always wanted to see it. One game when you're at, when you're out of contention, just let me just let me see it, and then I'll shut up about it forever. Not, not the whole game, though. You're just talking about specific situational because you've seen that in your lifetime. They've they've certainly used five infielders in our lifetimes. In in little league, I don't know if I've ever seen. Oh no, mix. they've done it. In definitely the. Uh, Okay, Gary Renicky batted in a 1979 or 80 game. I think it might have been 79 against a five-man infield that the Twins used. Okay, uh, against the Orioles, and he and he flew out to left anyway. So it was uh, <laughs> that's or how flew it out goes. To left, to right, flew out to the outfield. Hey, the strategy yeah. works. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So not to not to ramble, but yeah, um, these these leagues are great as they are, but uh, don't get stale. Don't get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Experiment try new things nothing outside very few things are permanent right try it if it doesn't work just roll it right back all right all right well i'm uh, i'm all for that and uh, and i definitely hope the nfl stays ahead of the game they're 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 brilliant in most of their decisions about marketing and hopefully they they will uh stay very good in terms of keeping the game balanced and as they expand boy we talked about this on the other mm-hmm. shows give people a chance to go back to them and listen right. to them uh, you know uh, that expansion is going to force more variation in the play of the game so i think that from that perspective it, i think it will be a good thing 100 percent. yeah Colt, been a tremendous amount of fun doing these four shows if if you haven't listened to all of them and you like this one please go back and take a listen we'd love for you to to opine on these if you uh jump in in the comments section that'd be great we'll uh we'll try and answer them there uh also you can hit me up on on twitter if you want to talk uh talk there uh Colt, tell folks where they can talk football with you. Yeah, we've had this uh, sort of running joke through these four episodes about how <laughs> bad I am at social media, but I am I am on Twitter. It's uh, last be more Colt, uh, so hit me up. But what I'm really trying to uh, promote, if you go to my uh, Twitter in my profile, there's a link to my Substack. I'm trying to uh, you know get my writing career uh, off the ground here. So if you could you could give me a read and let me know what you think, I'd uh, I'd, I'd greatly appreciate it. 
Okay, that sounds great. I see the Substack uh, thing here, and I see you're up to three followers. That's great. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there we <laughs> go. <laughs> so I, if 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 this that doesn't at least double after hearing this episode, I'll be kind of upset because uh, because this has been, I think, a very good series. So uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, DM me. Uh, always open on Twitter. Uh, I'll get back to you very quickly. I promise. Looking for narrow topics again, or a series of topics if you want to do that. But if you if you come up with a really broad topic, it's probably going to be have to be chopped into multiple topics or made more narrow. So uh, you know, if you can uh, start with that, that'd be fantastic. Colt, thanks again for joining us here. And thanks for having me for this series. It's been uh, so much fun. I can't thank you enough. Can't uh, can't say enough positive either, Colt. I'm looking forward to the next project. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.